There are other traditions that have exorcisms, and Pentecostal traditions in particular do. And my first encounters with an exorcism were in that tradition. But before that, I had six years as a teenager, age of 12 to 18, adolescent. When I had become an atheist, I'd left behind my Christian upbringing, the Presbyterian Church. And I don't want to give a lot of details, but in my senior year of high school, I had an episode where the people I was with, at least for one of the two, said he saw Satan in my face, and all these things happening, and then all of a sudden, the thing took control of my body and tried to kill me. Welcome back. I'm here again with Dr. Paul Thigpen. Paul, welcome back. Great to be here, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Okay, now we're going to talk about something that I don't talk about often with my audience, but I have in the past. And I think it's something that you have firsthand knowledge and experience with. And I think that's a much more credible in terms of just kind of fully understanding this. Because you read a book about Catholic exorcisms and things like that. It's something that some people can easily dismiss. Oh, it's just a story. They're just telling me something. But you've been in the room in some cases, right, in this. And by the way, I don't want to start without talking about this book that you have, Manual for Spiritual Warfare, that if once we start talking about some of this stuff, if you know, people might be a little scared about it, but there are things that you can do. And that book is kind of all about that. All right. So with that, when's the first time you were kind of involved in some sort of a an exorcism where you're and, and by the way, we're gonna talk all about kind of the like demonic influence and and things like that. Like there are a number of ways that that can happen in your life that you talk about, by the way, in that manual. So why don't you just start out with that? from not an academic standpoint, but kind of some of the ways that demonic entities, whatever you want to call them, can exert oppression on a human being. And then we can get into some of your personal experiences in terms of what you've seen in your life and and your association with the Catholic Church. Well, the Catholic Church teaches, and I fully embrace, I get because I've had experiences, but also it fits in with everything else that the Church teaches. That before the creation of the human race, God created the race we call angels. And that early on, they had kind of a test of whether they would remain faithful to God and in the truth, or whether they would rebel. And because they had free will, they could choose just like we do. And that some of them chose to say no to God. And that cutting themselves off that way from the source of life and goodness and truth and everything else that God is, became depraved in so many ways. Their minds were darkened. They didn't lose their power that angels have, their powers beyond ours, but they became really evil, and they wanted to get back at God. And since they couldn't kind of directly assault him, once he created the human race, then they decided they would come after his children, come after us. In the ancient world, when the emperor did something really bad, and you couldn't get your hands on the emperor to get back at him, you would go find a statue of the emperor and abuse it, pull it down, step on it, whatever. You have examples of that. Even in Iraq, same thing happened with Saddam Hussein, if you remember. But it was a long time. So it's the same kind of principle. I can't get my hands on God, but I'll go after his image. Mm-hmm. And human beings are his image. That's you know, what the church teaches. We're being his image. And also that we're his children. And so he comes after children. And so his intention, the the leader of the demons, the fallen angels, and the ones who are with him, who chose to go with him, that even though in the end they're going to lose, they want to bring down with them as many human beings as possible. They hate us. They want the worst for us. Misery loves company, and they want us to be with them in hellfire, literally, forever. And so that's that sets us up for the battle. That's what's called manual for spiritual warfare. That's what the battle is. And every human is in that battle. It doesn't mean that every human ends up in an exorcism, every human ends up possessed, has the kinds of things that I've seen happen. But it can come in more subtle forms, like a temptation, where the enemies, the angels don't have bodies like we do. They're pure spirit. So one of the things they can do is to speak directly into your mind, 
So they can put in tormenting thoughts or tempting thoughts, those kind of things. And most of us have to, everybody has to deal with that sooner or later. Just have to keep in mind, they're God's creatures. They were created good, but they fell. They're more powerful than we are in certain ways, but their power is not unlimited by any means. And a match between them and God, God always wins. But he's still allowing them in the world for various reasons. One, because we're all being tested ourselves to make ourselves stronger and in the good and in choosing God and choosing the good. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When the United States and China clash, the world will never be the same, especially when forces beyond reality threaten to intervene. What if the United States went to war with the People's Republic of China? How would these rivals fight for supremacy on land, sea, air, and across the stochastic streams of time? What wonder weapons would be unleashed? What horrors would emerge from the irradiated sludge of the South China Sea? What heroes would rise and forever change the course of history? Tread into the deepest and darkest dimensions of the multiverse, gaze through a kaleidoscope of fractured realities, and bear witness to the disturbing visions of World War III from today's greatest minds in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Weird World War, China. Available now from Bain Books at Bain.com. And so from the beginning, I mean, when Jesus came, you know, the Catholic tradition very affirms, it's all through the scripture, that when Jesus came, one of the main things he did, he healed the sick, he worked miracles, he taught about God, who he was, died on the cross, all those things. But one of the things he did during his three-year ministry was to cast out demons, to do exorcisms. And there were plenty of them. So we have all kinds of accounts in the scripture. Some people will say, well, you know, that's just legend. Well, no, I'm actually, according to standard historiographical standards, the Gospels are more reliable than pretty much any other text from ancient history that we have historical text. But others would say, well, Jesus was just accommodating the ignorance of the people who thought it was demons, but it's really psychological things. Well, if Jesus was who he claimed to be, he would have known that that was the case, and I don't think he would have misled people, saying, okay, you know, your real problem is that you've got the sickness, but I'm going to make you think I just cast a demon out. But on the other hand, you've got situations like the time he cast out demons from a possessed man into a herd of pigs. and they went, yeah. You don't cast a medical, psychological condition out of a man into pigs. If the stories are historical, and again, by all the you, your whole book's written about this by any standard of historiography, which is the science and art of writing history. Those documents are more, the Gospels, more historically reliable than anything else from the ancient world. So I believe it yet happened. It's not just legend. So anyway, and, and ever since then, he gave, Jesus gave to the apostles and through them, the bishops and the authority in his name to cast out the demons. So because part of what Jesus did was to basically to conquer them. When he died on the cross and rose again, that was like a great victory over them. And now we can share in his victory under the proper authority. So that's why we can have exorcists who are authorized by the bishops. The authority came from Christ down to the bishops. He appoints an exorcist. They have to be a priest. And he has the authority. And, and I know this to be true from, you know, certain situations where, the thing inside of someone, the demon inside of someone, is not responding to him. It's in the book of Acts, too, but not responding to anyone. And then the, the exorcist who has the authority comes in and boom. <laughs> or the bishop walks into the room and boom, the thing starts. It has to submit. There are things, you know, talking about them in the books, the sacraments of the Catholic Church, the sacramentals, things like people might be familiar with holy water, less salt, metals, like this is a St. Benedict medal here, other kinds of things that through the power of the church's prayer, they actually do have power against the enemy. It's not superstition, it's real. I've seen it used before. There are cases like when exorcist I know, and I think it's a common thing. When when people come to a priest and say, I think I've got a demon, you know, 
the church's protocol is not to say, uh, oh, okay, well, let's go cast them out. The right. church's protocol is to say, okay, well, let's go through all the other possibilities first. You need to see a medical doctor. You need to see maybe psychologists or something, you know, mental therapist or something to look at this and see if we can rule these other things out. And if they seem to be ruled out, then you can approach the ministry with exorcist. And when that uh, happens, sometimes if exorcists are still kind of in doubt about something, then they have certain tests that they can do to see if something spiritual going on or is this just, you know, kind of a mental thing. So one of those, for instance, would be to have multiple medals like this when all look alike, to sit the person that seems to be a victim of it at the table and then bring out to them multiple medals all look alike but only one has been blessed so that it become a sacramental that has power against these things. And then ask the person, what do you think of these? Just open to the question. And if something spiritual is going on, the response will be something like that one's just, that's just a piece of metal. That's silly. That's stupid. That's, and then they point at the one that's been blessed and they have no natural knowledge. Get that away from me. It burns, you know, something like that. Other similar kinds of things I could tell you about, but, so that those tests seem to suggest that, yes, something spiritual is going on. Here's something demonic. It's not just hallucination or imagination or whatever. And so the church teaches that, yes, the church does have power over those things through this get into it by Christ, that the name of Jesus is very important, that prayer is very important, the sacraments are important, the sacramentals, things like holy water and metals are important. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. To advertise on Through a Glass Darkly, email ads at gmail.com. And that there's a whole range of activity that can have demonic roots. What they call the ordinary activity of the demons is temptation, basically. Mm-hmm. They speak into our minds. They, when we get information from outside of ourselves, the way we usually know that it's not our own thoughts is because of our senses. We've read it, we've heard it, we've seen it. That's how we know it came from outside of us. But what if a creature doesn't have a body, your spirit can speak directly into your mind? You're going to think it's your own thought, or maybe even think that God's speaking to you, but it's because you, you don't have that normal filter. So the normal way, kind of, or kind of the way, the everyday way that most people have to deal with, is that the enemy be out there, he was putting thoughts in your mind. And the range then of more serious stuff goes all the way from what's called the infestation of an object or a building where some demonic association with it. And I can tell you some stories about that. Somehow the, the demon is connected or multiple demons are connected to a particular place or object. But then you have within the human person, you've got where they're just being bothered on the outside, you might say, or someone like someone I do who wakes up and there's scratches down her back every morning, and other things are happening to them. Sometimes even blows to the body, that kind of thing. But then you've got the kind that's mostly internal, but really serious, where leading to deep suicidal thoughts, leading to just all kinds of mental torments, often at night as well as in the day. What we call possession is really the most rare of all those conditions, and that's the one that Hollywood makes the most up, like in The Exorcist, you know, but it actually requires a, what we call a major exorcism. But in that case, you've got, through whatever entry, the demon or multiple demons are able to kind of take charge of your body during certain episodes. It's not like the whole time. It's not like somebody's frothing in the mouth the whole time. But it's, at certain times, they'll take charge of the body. Usually, the person being possessed does not even know what's going on at the time and later on will say what just happened to me where you know why am i in this room when i was over there and during that time then can do all kinds of things with the body extreme contortions speaking in languages the person's never heard before being able to speak through the person about things that they should have no knowledge of you know that should be hidden to them 
usually lots of foul language, blasphemy, and that kind of stuff. And at that time, too, usually in the room, then you have the kind of phenomenon that goes along with the first thing I mentioned, infestation, where you have things levitating, people or objects, things flying around, things materializing out of out of pure air, screams and cursing and things like that just coming out of thin air. And I've seen you know, some of your listeners are probably saying, this guy's crazy. <laughs> it's okay. What I've seen but myself you, but and But you've heard, seen this. But you've seen yeah, this stuff. Yeah. Okay. But sorry, continue. I no, that's it. So, I mean, this is, you know, quickly kind of lays that out. The manual, what the manual about is to understand what these things are and to understand that they, they were not powerless before them. But it does require, you know, to have the full powers that you need the power of God. He's the one who created them and is still in control of them. And so you've got to, in some ways, you know, submit your life to him and, and ask for his help, that kind of thing. And it involves prayer, it involves the sacraments, it involves learning the scripture. When Jesus dealt with the demon, according to the gospel, out in the wilderness, the way he engaged with him was with scripture. He had scripture memorized and would say things to the devil that would kind of make him back off. I'm having to kind of just run through the book, you know, really quickly. But the church offers lots of prayers. It certainly offers us, if we think it's a serious case, the opportunity to approach a priest and then to see about exorcism. There are other traditions that have exorcisms, uh, Pentecostal traditions in particular do. And my first encounters with an exorcism were in that tradition. But before that, I had six years as a teenager, age of 12 to 18, adolescent. When I had become an atheist, I'd left behind my Christian upbringing, the Presbyterian Church. And I don't want to give a lot of details, but in my senior year of high school, I had an episode where the people I was with, at least for one of the two, said he saw Satan in my face, all these things happening, and then all of a sudden the thing took control of my body and tried to kill me. That's all I'll say. So that kind of shattered my whole materialist worldview that everything's matter and energy because I didn't believe in God or demons or angels or you know human survival or anything, past death. And the pieces got shattered, and I had to say, okay, some of what I experienced tonight sure sounds like some stuff I've read about in the gospel before, and they were demons. They were unclean spirits. They were called... Maybe I better go back and read that and see, because if there's no God and there's a devil, I'm really in trouble. And it did lead back, you know, lead me back to that to begin to from this, this stuff is real. And if this is real, maybe all that other stuff that talks about it is real too. I didn't become Catholic then, that was years later. But I was present for some exorcisms in the Pentecostal tradition. In the Catholic tradition, I haven't been present for a Catholic exorcism. I've been called in to consult in some cases because at the point when somebody comes to priests and starts saying, I think I need this help, sometimes they need help in understanding what kind of questions to ask. And so I'll be involved in that. I have, though, and I don't think I've spoken about this on, on uh, in an interview before, but, you know, with someone else. I had one case where I was in a, a college where the students, don't want to you know, give away details, but some of the students knew that I had, had experiences. And they came to me and said, we're having experiences in this one particular dorm room. It's part of an apartment that had been bought and for the, by the college. And several of them would be in there at a time, and all of a sudden, the temperature would drop precipitously. A cold wind would start blowing through the room with none of the windows open and no air conditioning on. And then the Different appliances in the room would start turning on and off randomly, not all off and all on like a, like a power blink, but turning on and off TV and other things, microwave. And then faucets throughout the house would start turning on and off water randomly. And in one particular situation, they told me, and, and I thought I need to talk to the administration of the college about this, but they're probably going to say, oh, it's college kids. They were all drunk or whatever. <laughs> so I ended up, and they got out of the room, you know. I ended up saying, okay, I wanna, I'm going to sleep in that room one night and see what happens. So I did. But before I went to sleep, you know, it's just time to go to bed. I turn off the lights and lay down in the bed. And immediately, temperature drops, probably 10 or 15 degrees. Oh, by the way, was this before or after you had converted to Catholicism? This is after I become Catholic. Yeah. yeah. Was it how, re- how close was it to that conversion? Oh, so this has been back in the 90s. So, well, okay. Well, then we became Catholic ninety three, so a few years after that. So, okay. and at the time, were you working with the Catholic Church? 
on some of these exorcisms or is this kind of no i hadn't read, written the book yet and i wasn't in that in a position to do that but what was so this is cold my, this is cold you just decided to do this to do what to stay that night to, you mean yeah yeah just on my yeah on my own so i need to see it myself in order to tell you know the administration this stuff is real Okay, so you hadn't out. consulted with a Catholic church, you hadn't like, or not in this case, you know, this no, no, I was just uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Student, right. I often had students come to tell me about this stuff, you know. Yeah, I just want to set the stage like, this is that that took some courage <laughs> going there cold <laughs> like that. I, I'm so convinced, I'm so convinced that, that God is greater than all that, and Jesus Christ, in particular, they, they're terrified of him. I had my sacramentals, so I went in. You know, laid down, so I definitely was not asleep. Cold wind starts blowing through. There's no AC. The windows are all closed. And then all of a sudden, the bed I'm lying in begins to levitate. So I'd say less than an inch, maybe half an inch. But the way I knew for sure it was levitating, even though it was kind of, you know, dim in the room, there's some light from the outside, is that it began to oscillate back and forth. The bed did while I was in it. So I thought, Yep, they're right. <laughs> this is not some crazy college kids talking about this. So, you know, what what did I do? I did what I'd learned in my Pentecostal tradition to do, and that is to to speak to the thing and say, leave me alone in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Leave me alone. I'm going to sleep. And I put my head down, and boom, the bed goes back. And we ended up, once I did bring the administration to a chaplain, he got permission from the bishop for us to go through and do, a, I don't want to call it a cleansing rite, that's not what they would call it, but almost like an exorcism of a building where you have certain prayers you go through, holy water, you put metals over the doors. So this is a classic, what you would call an infestation, yeah. basically. Yeah, Okay. found out later, and I know some of your, I say too many details, some of your folks will be upset, but that found out later that someone who had been, we're wondering how did this building get infested, someone who had been in the building, not a student, and was still there once they bought the building because of being grandfathered in with rent, was a young lady who was practicing white magic, what she called white magic. And she thought it was harmless, but it was actually things like love charms where you're trying to control somebody's will and that kind of thing. And I know there are folks practicing white magic will be angry with me for even associating with that. But there was that. There were satanic symbols painted on some of the ceiling tiles so i could be wrong but i think that's how the thing got the, the building got infested yeah so that was one occasion when i was in europe there's a, other things that i saw we were one time i was actually at a christian rock band we were singing about jesus all over europe it was great they kind of introduced contemporary christian music there i pioneered it anyway with a few other groups and one time we were we we're in frankfurt and it was an underground shopping center like literally underground and we're down there just playing and singing and people thought we wanted money we said no we just want to tell you about jesus and they would listen and we had just stopped to in the first part of the concert and somebody from my group comes to me and says paul you got to come real quick you got to see what's going on so we go down a couple of corridors there's a crowd gathered we kind of make our way toward the front not the very front and there's a guy i won't give too many details but he was dressed in kind of traditional eastern garb of a certain kind and his little assistant and while we were watching he went like this and his eyes rolled back in his head and he began to tremble and i thought okay this does kind of look like he's invoking a demon i've seen this kind of thing and then the little boy then starts handing him these long needles like big rug needles you know they're really big ones big as nails basically and he started taking them and putting them through his body through his ears through his cheeks through his tongue all kinds of things and again, I know, you know, some of your listeners will probably be upset with me, but I thought, okay, this really looks demonic to me. I can't imagine, Lord, you know, I'm beginning to pray quietly, you know, Lord, I can't imagine this is your will. If it's not your will, do something to stop it. Said that in my mind, nobody else could hear it out there. As soon as I prayed that and looked up, little boy hands him the next needle and he takes it and he starts pressing it against his palm. He presses it and presses it and it won't go in presses it and won't go in, won't go in. And then while I'm watching, he presses so hard that the needle bends against his bare flesh, but it won't go in. Immediately, he begins to tremble, to shake. The little boy's obviously scared. He doesn't know what's going on. 
and they just he kind of came out of the trance or whatever you want to call it that he was in. They gathered up all their stuff and they literally ran out of there. Make of that what you will. You know, maybe it doesn't connect to the other things, but I think it certainly does. Other kinds of things, you know, been consulted in cases where you had, wow, um, in a living room while several people were there. Now, I wasn't present for this, but the people told me about it, including a priest, uh, blood materializing in the air over their heads and dripping down into the room. There was nothing in the attic and other kinds of things. We kind of, I won't go into all those details, but it became clear why why it was happening. There are certain ways that you can open doors for those things, and that had happened in this family. And when somebody calls you in, is it usually the church that calls you in to consult on these things? It'd be an individual priest who knows me well and knows that I've had some experience with it. So maybe you've got a case kind of hypothetical, it's close to something, but to give an example, you have a case and, yeah. and the person doesn't want to talk. It's, you know, a younger girl, like a teenage girl, and they were the mother and they come in and they, they want to talk and all this stuff has been going on in her life, the uncanny kind of preternatural stuff. And so usually I would know some questions to ask, you know, okay, tell me about you know, your spiritual life, tell me about your experiences. Uh, is there anybody you've been really angry at lately? That Anyway, and so it comes comes out in one case that this young girl had been, been bullied at school, wanted to know how to get revenge, and got online and found a website that told her how to make a pact with the devil to hurt people. And she had done it. And I won't go into any more details. I won't even tell you what city that was or anything, but it was very real. And and the devil was telling to her, I'll, I'll kill you and your family if you tried to let an exorcist get to me. You know, he was threatening to keep her from doing that. I'm only telling these, I'm not, you know, telling these to try to entertain people or this thing. It's just to let you know it's real. And it's real. I can tell so many more stories. Yeah, it's just knowledge, right? Just understanding <laughs> that there's a phenomenon out there that that if you kind of bark up the wrong door, you can bring it into your life in a way that is not at all beneficial, right? In fact, it's completely and utterly to your detriment. Now, like if people have signs of this sort of thing in their own lives, what should they do aside from kind of your book, read your book, but when is the point at which they should engage their priest or whatever religious tradition they're in? At what point should they reach out? Well, I mean, I guess you'd have to think about, is this something, is there any way I can explain it otherwise? And do a real honest, you know, with yourself, say, okay, it really could have been a coincidence, this, or that could have, that like that. To begin to ask themselves, have I been involved with certain occult practices that might have opened doors? There are actually certain kinds of serious sin, I won't go into that, that could open doors. If it becomes something, especially if you start having physical manifestations that scratches down your back or other kinds of things happening, for sure you want to you want to approach and and I would say even if you're Pentecostal, go to you know, find a priest. Some of the cases I was in on the, the people were Catholic, but they went to a priest, and that's you know I would urge them to do that. And you'll find some priests who don't take it seriously. I'm sorry to say, we'll keep going until you find a priest who does. And. That would be the first step, and then they can kind of help walk you through by asking the kinds of questions that I did and that others have done to know what's next. But you don't have to fight that thing alone, you know, and you can't really fight it alone. You need God, first of all, and you need his help through the channels that he's given us. Again, this is going to sound like a very business-like question, but what's the funnel look like in terms of the experience with this thing? So let's say... You start out with somebody who is behaving strangely, right? And that's kind of the population you're starting from. Then you find out, you go to a therapist or a psychiatrist, and they find out it's they're bipolar or they have some kind of mental or you know psychiatric issue that they can prescribe. And then you kind of further go down the funnel, you know, hoaxers you get at the very top of the funnel, et cetera. But as you narrow it down, if you were to kind of guesstimate or estimate 
what percentage of these cases that there's suspicion of demonic influence, but not necessarily what percentage ends up being confirmed or leads to the requirement for an exorcism? Well, I would, you know, I wouldn't know where to begin to make an estimate or a speculation. I've heard numbers all over the place, but I mean, a lot depends on, you know, if you're asking priests to have had people come to them talk, that's one thing. But if you're just asking people on the street, do you have anything that you think is like that? And have you ever had anything done about it? I will say this, that there are a lot of folks, Catholic exorcists and others, who say that in the last generation, there's been a big, big rise in the number of people who come for help and who in the end do need it, need this kind of help. You ask them why they think, and they would say, well, on the one hand, because the sacraments of the church include starting with baptism are so important. You've got more people who are not receiving the sacraments who aren't Catholic or aren't you know, religious at all. At the other hand, that people are doing more and more things that open the doors to this stuff. And so you got this double whammy at the time where they're most vulnerable. They don't have any of the kind of spiritual protections that they're also opening doors and inviting things in. Yeah, I've heard that anecdotally, actually. There's an author that I have spoken to. I was at a convention earlier this year, and she's very Catholic and has related to me that there's been a big increase in the number of exorcisms in recent years. But what you're saying kind of, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I can't really define what big means. I don't know if it's doubled. I don't know. If well, for instance, seven, I mean, used, there was a time when pretty much if the bishop wanted to, you to be an exorcist, we pretty much you'd go off to Rome to train. You could still train there. But now we have schools in the United States to train because we need it. There was such a backlog. Oh, wow. And is that what the last 10 years, last 20 years, or like the last five? I'd say, okay, I'm, not I'm not trying to nail you down. I'm just yeah, I know. Longer than 10 for sure. Yeah, longer okay. than 10 for sure. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what was your most salient experience with one of these things? When, like exorcisms or oppressions that you witnessed? One case where I was, it was not an exorcism. I won't say where I was. I was in a church office. <laughs> Can't get details. And a young man came to talk to me about it, about a situation that he had. And as he began to talk, all of a sudden the thing took over him and he began to writhe around like a snake, began to have this horrible growl come out of his mouth. I mean, I could go on, I won't give any more. But it's so obvious that that was going on. And I had to do the things I knew to do, you know, address tell the thing in the name of Jesus, leave him alone, and then to get him some help. Now, people could say, okay, it was, you know, he was just following all the patterns he's seen in Hollywood or something, but it's someone I knew well, pretty well. And this was not, he was certainly not hoaxing or, you know, pretending maybe there's a possibility that he, that it was a mental condition, but it it was certainly striking that he looked like a serpent. I don't know how else to put it. Did he do anything that made him susceptible to the influence that you knew of? Things had happened to him. And that's another way that it can happen. Certain kinds of child abuse, for instance, I got that kind it. of thing can, can cause, especially if parents are the ones who do it. Okay, so the more kind of, I don't know, I'm not a medical professional, so take this with, with a heavy grain of salt, but kind of the more fractured your psyche from trauma. Maybe trauma tends to be some sort of a, a marker. It's like it leaves an open wound, can leave an open wound on your soul that becomes infected by demonic activity. I don't know how else, that's just an analogy of it, that the wound makes a place for those, just like a physical wound makes a place for germs to get in and, and cause trouble. That can happen. You, you can have a curse placed on you, not just somebody cursing at you, but a you know serious curse from various religious traditions. That can do it. Other kinds of things can do that too. How do you know if that's happened to you? Like, how would you possibly know if someone kind of cursed you in that way? 
one case I knew the person who placed the curse was a family member and was open about it from a particular primal religious tradition. Yeah, I, you know, I can't say anymore. But, and yeah, again, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I and say this much wanna... because I know people can't figure out at all. They have no idea. I've been in touch with people around the country about these kinds of things, so they have no idea no matter where I've been. It's not like they can say, oh, this happened in such a place because he lived there. It's not that at all. These are from all over the country. Yeah, you could cut somebody off in traffic and all of a sudden bad things start happening and you have no idea. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> yeah, I definitely won't. <laughs> won't delve deeper into that because I don't want to give anybody any ideas, right? I mean, that's some scary. Because the other thing, too, yeah. in that sort of tradition, you kind of open yourself up when you engage in that stuff. Right? Of course, yeah. It's yeah. like not it's a one-way thing. A person who, yeah, is calling down evil is going to be affected by the evil, of course. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, there are other aspects of... You could call it human capabilities. You could call it something else. But prior to getting on camera, we talked a little bit about remote viewing. So as you know, the U.S. government officially ran a program from the 1970s to the mid-1990s. Whether or not they're continuing to do it is kind of open to question. But members of that community I've interviewed extensively on this channel, and their sense is, is that it's a, an ability that every human possesses and you know you can use it for good you can use it for whatever what's your view on how that interacts with is that something that is in your opinion a natural human ability or is that something that is tainted by some of the things that we're talking about here i think actually both of those are possible but also a third one and that is when you look at some of the saints in the Catholic Church, who are very holy people and faithful, and what they did, you know, a secular person today would call remote viewing. So just in terms of what it, I'm not saying it's the same thing as what the guys of the government are doing, but the effects were the same. So Padre Pio, say Pio Pietrelcina, 20th century Italian saint, mystic, his life overlapped mine. So we're not talking tradition, we're talking about things that people testified to really did happen with him. He could, in the Catholic tradition, it's called reading souls, where he could, he just had the knowledge of what's going on in your mind, and he knew about your past, and he knew things you had done at a distance. He sometimes knew about things that were happening at a distance, and it was, and it was accurate. You get someone like 16th century Spanish mystic nun, uh, Maria de Aguilera. Phenomenal story with her. Of, Is this by location? Yeah, like the new world? By location, and you know, remote viewing, and I mean, if you were to use that term remote viewing, and I never would have used it for that before, but I, I'm only using it now because it, I'm saying the, the constant, the, the evidence of it looks alike, you know, looks alike. So you've got that in the Catholic tradition. So, you know, the first question is, okay, is it possible that someone can have information of something at a distance that their natural senses don't allow? And I think the Catholic tradition has to affirm yes. So then what would be the causes of it? What might be the causes? The first one that the Catholic tradition would affirm is a gift from God. They're given a special gift from God that is not necessarily a natural ability, but a special gift from God. God knows exactly what's happening 100 miles from here, and he can tell you, and you can say it. And it's not a natural gift of yours, but something that he's told you. And in fact, when I was a Pentecostal, we were in a tradition that was doing some of the same things. Amazing, just kind of everyday people. Their notion was that that God wants to give this gift, and you have to make yourself open to it. And there would be even training we'd go to about you know listen to the Lord. And it was amazing. There were some that didn't go well, but it's amazing how many times we'd be put in a situation to pray for somebody, usually lay hands on, and then you know we're trying to say, okay, what comes into your mind? What do you see? What do you hear? And we would, without saying, thus saith the Lord or something, we'd just say, okay, I'm getting this picture, whatever. If it means anything to you, maybe it's from God. If not, just discard it. And it was amazing how many times, sometimes the people would break down crying and say, how did you know that? For us, it was easy to answer that question. I know it because God told me because he loves you and he wanted to help you in this situation. And it brought healing, would bring discernment, direction, all those good things. So even outside of the Catholic tradition, you've got the same kind of thing going on. Then 
both those traditions that would also affirm that it can be demonic, that demons are able to know things at a distance, mm-hmm. and they, in certain circumstances, they can tell that to a person. So that sometimes what might be called remote viewing might actually be a demonic thing. Catholic tradition says that that demons can't know the future unless they know what they're going to do, and then they're going to do something. So if you know someone says a demon says to a person, "You're going to die tomorrow." And then the demon causes the death to come about. Then he wasn't really predicting the future. He was just talking about what he was going to do. Yeah, he's talking to his parents. And I think that is a possibility there. That's how, for instance, in many exorcisms, a person is able to know things in the mind of the exorcist. Know things, I mean, not in the mind, but know things, sorry, there's a debate about whether you can read the mind, but know things that the exorcist has done in the past. So one of the demonic strategies in an exorcism, and especially if you have a, a deliverance team, as they're called, helping, is to start calling out the sins of the people that that other would know to humiliate and make them back off. There's debate about whether once those sins are said in confession, whether the demons can even know about them. Or, you know, that's a different issue. But the point I'm making is that it's also clear in the Catholic tradition. I think probably Pentecostals, for the most part, would agree that it can have demons as a source too, especially if it's something being used for evil. So that leaves the third possibility. Can it be, as you were saying, something that is actually natural to the human person, but undeveloped? I think that's possible. I think that's possible. What I affirm for sure is that God can speak to people and tell them those things, and demons can do the same. But is it just a natural thing? I think it, it could be and have to be developed. But again, there are going to be some people right now very angry with me for even allowing that. I think it's all demonic. I just don't think we can make that absolute statement. That it's all demonic. Yeah. Especially I mean, going, look, look, it could be, right? It's a possibility. It could be, but it could also be a natural ability. And I don't know either. It could be some like a natural ability that's subverted for demonic reasons if it's you know, used in the wrong mm-hmm. way. You know, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And if it's something that is a undeveloped ability, there could be other things that we possess that we confuse it with, and that could be a point of manipulation. So, yeah, yeah. who knows? You know, you could probably yeah. You know, three- Catholic tradition teaches that our first parents were given what are called preternatural gifts. Mm-hmm. That means that gifts or abilities that were not according to their nature, but were gratuitous, added to their nature, and including things like knowledge of things that they didn't have direct sense awareness of. And so you have some who've wondered, you know, what if, okay, and that those things were lost in the fall when they turned against God. What if it's possible for someone who is walking closely to God to have those things restored? That's another way of looking at it. So as in so many things that, you know, I've talked about this session in the previous episode, there seem to be so many possibilities. And even within a, a tradition is kind of firm and old and whose boundaries are well clarified in certain ways, as the Catholic faith is, there's still lots of room for mystery, because that's just, life is mysterious. God is so big, the world is so complex that he's made, there's so many things that people just assume would have to be contrary to the faith that they're not. They could be from God, they could be from the enemy, they could be natural. In any given case, part of what we got to do is try to figure it out, especially if it's in an exorcism case, but... Even others, but you hear the you know the reports from people like Hal Putoff and others involved in remote viewing, and they're not lying. I was talking over dinner to Hal at the symposium, and some of the cases he mentioned, which he had mentioned publicly before, it's really hard to somehow claim that the person got it by first of all by coincidence when they're giving detailed diagrams of things or how they found the plane that went down in Africa with our pilot and that kind of thing. And if it's demonic, why would a demon want to help you keep this guy from being captured by the enemy? <laughs> why would a demon be giving you that kind of knowledge if it was being well used, you know? All right, last question. You talked about mysteries that we're still are trying to figure out. And I think off-camera you mentioned there were some cases where you would have, you know, either, I think mostly an infestation, where you'd bring in or you'd employ traditional exorcism or the techniques of a traditional exorcism or the exorcism right, whatever you want to call it. And they would still be 
poltergeist activity. It's almost like there's some other entities out there that are non-demonic, whatever they are. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I I've not been personally involved with that, but I do know okay. as, as a historian of the church that there are cases like that. So, for instance, in about 1700, an exorcist, a giant exorcist, Ludvigo Sinistrati, is writing about all kinds of cases, and he talks about certain cases where, okay, we've you know we were brought in, exorcists brought in because it seemed demonic, it's certainly paranormal, and when it is demonic, then the demon has to respond to the rites of the church, to the sacraments, to exorcism, to the holy metals, holy water. They sooner or later they have to give way to that because Christ has authority over them. But they were running into cases where was it the behavior was it sinister, number one. And number two, all the stuff of the church didn't make any difference at all. And they were like they're almost like naughty children <laughs> misbehaving, and you couldn't see them. And then again in the early 1900s, Father Herbert Thurston was a Catholic priest in England who did some research, the same kind of thing. Lots of cases from Europe where Yes, if it actually was demonic, they were able to take care of it using the church's resource, you know, spiritual resources. But there were all these others of things with crockery appearing or things broken or being broken or sheets being pulled off the bed or at Skinwalker Ranch of the pile of wood that's, you know, so carefully piled. And a few minutes later, it's piled on the other side of the yard where it doesn't seem sinister and it seems more like a prankster kind of thing. So is that some other kind of entity? See, Strari thought it was. That's something he even referred back to St. Augustine's talking about the satyr and that kind of thing. What if there is an ultra-terrestrial like that, whose body, if you know, it has some kind of body, but it's what they call a subtle matter, kind of like you would talk about the wind, where it's something you can't really see. You can see its effects. And yet that is still matter, as we know, it's you know, it's air. Could there be something like that out there? So you've had within the Christian tradition folks saying, yeah, maybe there probably seems to be. It's not to say that the exorcist and all that was powerless or anything against the devil. It's just that it sure seemed to be something else. Now, within the poltergeist study, you know, people who study poltergeist, they have other theories to the notion, of, and Father Thurston was one of those, that maybe it's actually some part of the psyche that has gone maverick in a person because often the polar guys activity surrounds an adolescent we know with hormones and stuff it's kind of crazy yeah you're describing lynn buchanan when he grew up he yeah okay and, and thurston father thurston you know said um he talked about these preternatural gifts that the, our first parents were given he said what if they're fragments of those that have been passed down and that we've got those kinds of things I think some of the folks studying poltergeist have talked about poltergeist agents where it's actually a human person who's causing this stuff but it looks like it's, you know, they're the agent of it, but it's kind of coming through them. I'm not saying I believe it, all that. I, I just say it. What I'm always trying to do is say, okay, looking at that, where do we see parallels in the Catholic tradition? Where do we see a space made by precedence and thinking in the Catholic tradition that might be able to give us some understanding instead of just saying it's all demons, it's all demons, <laughs> it's all demons. It's, you know, the, the habit has often been, if it makes me uncomfortable and I don't understand it, it's got to be demons. And we can't right. do that. You cannot make an absolute claim that everything having to do with UAP, everything having to do with poltergeist or whatever is demons. This, what are you, you going to go case by case and show me you know, demonstrate? How do you know that? How do you know that that's all demons? Especially when so many of the cases don't seem to fit the demonic profile at all. They don't. Any final words for the audience? Yeah, I would say I don't want you know don't want to make you afraid of demons, in the sense that you know, a bad afraid where you're just you know looking for the demon over your shoulder all the time. But I would say, I encourage you if if you're not walking with the Lord, I'll just put it that way. If you don't have a close relationship to the God who made you, who has authority over these things, I would say I urge you to do that. In the end, He's our protection for those things. He made them. He can unmake them. You know, I mean, not annihilate them, but. He won't, or he won't do that. So uh, I'm just saying, I would encourage you not to turn to things like, I don't know, burning sages or chants or things like that. Uh, how many times have you looked at the TV programs with supposed ghost hauntings or things? <clears throat> and in the end, they finally just have to call on a Catholic priest. It doesn't go until that happens. There's a reason for that. 
Catholic priest has been given authority by God, who is the authority over the demons that you're not going to find elsewhere. You may find some temporary relief in other things. Like in the Pentecostal tradition, it was my experience was some of those things I saw were kind of people had temporary relief. So just, yeah, stick close to God, pray, shoot, get my book, <laughs> whatever. See what you learn about it. But do not invite the enemy into your camp. This is a battle. These things are your enemy. Don't go opening doors that are going to invite them in. I appreciate your time, Paul, and look forward to chatting with you soon. Oh, that's great, buddy. Thank you. God bless you and all your listeners. You too. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's video, please hit like and subscribe. And also hit the notification button so you can be notified whenever I post new content. Thank you. Now, if you're enjoying the channel and you want to support it, there are several things you can do. In fact, there are five things you can do. The first thing you can do is just buy my books. I got plenty of books out in the market right now, and I would prefer that folks buy a book rather than giving me direct support because they get something out of it. They have a real tangible product. The second way you can support me is by becoming a member on YouTube or becoming a patron on Patreon. And just go to either site and it'll explain everything. third way you can support the channel is by checking out my merch site, which is here. There's plenty of stuff that you can get to support the channel. And I'd appreciate that you, you have it and can wear it. Not only do you help support the channel, but you also help promote the channel. And I appreciate that. The fourth way that you can support the channel, and this is really easy, is anytime you want to buy something on Amazon, literally just go to the description below and click on any link, literally any link. The channel gets a cut of that, and it costs you no extra money. You just go through the link as I'm part of the Amazon Affiliates Club. The fifth and final way you can support the channel is through donations. Now, I don't prefer these because it's more of an expression of gratitude, but you don't really get anything out of it as a subscriber to the channel. However, if you decide to do these options, there's two options. There's Buy Me a Coffee, which is a separate site, and there's also you can go through YouTube with either a Super Chat, Super Sticker, or a Super Thanks. Again, I prefer Buy Me A Coffee because that organization takes less money than Amazon does. But either way, I appreciate any support you are willing to give the channel. So thank you very much and keep watching. I really appreciate it.